Hi everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're going to talk about five non-obvious growth plays that you can execute even in a downturn. Enjoy. So Mikkel's coming back soon. Yeah, okay. finally we have a Danish uh, Danish accent back on the cast. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Andrew that said, yeah, it's nice to hear, you know, an actual American sounding somebody on the podcast. Okay. American. <laughs> American. Let's be, let's be careful here. <laughs> you, you're not really from America, are you? No, no. Uh, I, I'm a Canadian national. Uh, so that's why th this is what a Canadian accent actually sounds like. But most yeah. people just assume I'm American. But also you're much nicer, right? Because you're from Canada. And yeah, you know, we, we got a... I think the universal healthcare probably helps a little bit in that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about with Mikkel coming back here. I think another thing that's we're going to be seeing coming back in the economy is just another rough start to 2023. Oh wow, what a transition! I know, right? <laughs> I've been kind of working on a little bit of that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's true. I guess we've talked a little bit about it on other podcasts, and not to beat a dead horse, but one thing we want to talk about is the fact, like. Yes, this is something that we're dealing with. And yes, this is something that is just a reality. But there are some obvious or rather some non-obvious strategies you can take into this new year. You're not going to get out of this downturn, but at least you can get out of it better than everybody else. I think this this episode is actually going to we're going to talk a little bit more about almost money stuff, which is not not necessarily always kind of the RevOps um, RevOps sweet spot here. I think we're going to go a little bit outside of that. Mm -hmm. and we're going to explore a little bit on the fringes here because, you know, we could do another episode and talk about efficiencies, this efficiencies, that. Um, but I think there are also a couple of other levers you can, you can pull as a business, as an organization in order to, uh, help yourself out of this. And, and, and some of that is basically what we are, what we're covering today. Definitely. And these are some really strong levers too. Uh, but let's first start about why we are kind of going into this year what what exactly is going to be the problem and kind of why we're in the situation at the beginning with yeah so i'm not going to do the whole spiel from public markets to vcs to to startups um but bottom line people are going to buy less stuff uh they're going to buy less stuff from probably what you are selling right now uh, and even worse the stuff that you have sold the last couple of years they probably will look at it with a very you know what is it? A hard look, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and probably will say, you know what? Nah, we kind of don't need this. Uh, and and that conversation will probably be led by uh, by the CFO that he will ask or she will ask a bunch of pointed questions. Um, and then we will um, we will see a lot of more churn coming through, right? And I think um, we we have like one quote here from uh, Winning by Design, mm -hmm. calling it the the largest revenue churn event in the history of SaaS. Yes. So, you know, uh, hold on to your seats, uh, <laughs> people here. Uh, so, so I think that that certainly is, um, is an issue. We, uh, we talked on a, on a previous episode about how to make buying easy for number one, your champion, but also for the champion to then sell it to the CFO has a lot of, you know, a lot of that has to do with low friction for your champion and low risk for the CFO, basically, right? We call it zero friction, zero risk. Have a listen. Um, I think some of the side effects here, if you kind of take two steps back, some of the side effects will be, and again, maybe not everyone on the show is going to appreciate that, but um, for the last decade, or the, at least for the last couple of years, um, salaries have been going up and up and up, especially in tech, especially in SaaS tech. Um, if you look at uh, what you uh, used to pay an account executive in, in New York in 
you know, 2010 versus now, I mean, it's you, you basically like 50, 60, 70% up since then, right? Yeah. Um, and the same happened less so as a benchmark, but the same happened across all different roles. And obviously when everyone was getting a lot of cash, everyone was hiring a lot, everyone was stealing people from other organizations. Um, and basically no one that got laid off or fired uh, struggled to find a job, right? So basically kind of uh, there was a cascading of bidding higher and higher and higher. So that is probably not going to happen this time around. Um, I think Microsoft just yesterday uh, announced another layoff of 10,000 people. Yep. For them, that's like 5% of the workforce. It sounds so big, but it's not that much actually for them. Um, but again, it's 10,000 you know, software tech workers out on the street, right, in the market. Yeah. Um, and I think then the 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 force pulling in the other direction is uh, is inflation, you could say, right? So we had for, uh, for a year now, we had kind of inflation that was pretty high, like 6, 8, 7, 8%, something like that. Um, and usually salaries catch up with that. Um, but I would probably say, you know, both of those things coming together, I think... Um, uh, I think they might cancel each other out and or might have a slight downturn. That's kind of what I'm thinking, um, which is for individual contributors listening, maybe bad news for, for people running organizations, maybe also like, hey, wait a minute, my operation, uh, operating cost, my CAC might go down because of it, right? So I think that is kind of one side effect here. And then the other one is, and you can see it also in the stock uh, price of Google or Facebook and, and, and so forth. People aren't buying so many ads anymore. Basically what that means for, for you right now is that um, you will probably have an easier time or a cheaper, basically cost per lead is going to go down. Cost per acquisition is going to go down on all of those platforms. Um and that might be good if you're in a position where you can actually spend some money on that. Yeah, and I can definitely attest to looking at the content creator side. They've been in an ad apocalypse for a while, uh, and I think it's just going to get worse. I think that we're going to see a, a lot less companies still advertising now. But with that said, maybe that that is something you can jump on now. Yes, and that then so this is kind of the backdrop here, right? And obviously, we didn't go into the whole companies will continue to do cuts. They will cut to the bone and then there will be a new bone that they're going to cut down to um, uh, soon. Um, but inevitably, they will run out of cash. And uh, some of that has to do because they are unable to get new funds from their existing investors or from new investors, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of uh, focus on cash. Cash flow is going to be a thing for next year, 1,000%, uh, which is also why... Today, we are talking a little bit more about maybe the cash side of things. Now that we've had a brief talk about why we're kind of in a situation, in a situation that we're dealing with, let's go into some of the advice that we can actually start implementing. Yes. So let's start with uh, number one here, which is obviously everyone is struggling or will struggle, which means all of your competitors will also struggle, right? Uh, so it's not just you being potentially a little bit weaker or, you know, slower and growing. It's everyone around you as well, also in the competitive field. Number one, they will probably invest a little bit less into their go-to-market engine, which again reduces competition, which reduces CAC payback overall for the industry. And it allows you to pick up some of those, um, uh, you know, prospects that are in market a little bit cheaper because they're less contested. It might also allow you to pick up customers from your competitors to a degree, right? Maybe they struggle on, uh, you know, building the product in the right way and, and so forth, kind of things you could have previously, you know, bought your way out of. Um, and I think especially for some of the competitor plays, people don't sometimes do it. I don't know why, but this is maybe a little bit of a tactic. Just have, um, 
have specific landing pages for uh, competitor comparisons, right? And everyone everyone thinks about, okay, it's my brand versus competitor one, competitor two, competitor three. Um, you can actually also do competitor one versus competitor two and competitor one versus competitor three. Uh, you can do landing pages for all of that stuff. There's a lot of um, a lot of organic tra traffic to be picked up and basically kind of put your put your logo below, right? Yeah. Okay, that's kind of you know in the normal wheelhouse of of what everyone is uh, doing here, listening to this. Um, I think the other one is, you know, those competitors they will probably die, they will probably run out of business, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and they will probably. Uh, reach a point in the next six to nine months where they, number one, can't get more funding, um, where they uh, basically run out of cash, can't grow anymore. And then the cap table, so the capitalization table, which is the owners of that competitor, they will start looking around and being like, okay, uh, what are we going to do with this thing now? And they will want to sell it. They will rather want to sell it instead of just, you know, you know, turning the key and, and walking away, they will want to sell it. But it's going to be a distressed sell. They will have to sell it. They will be back against the wall. So you can probably pick up some of those competitors for um, one or two times ARR. Yeah? Uh, when, when we had good times, 10x was the multiple that people were expecting, uh, both for an exit, but maybe also for an IPO and, you know, end around the 10x. I think currently we're down for six or seven or something like that. Um, but if you are in a distressed asset sale um, and uh, things aren't going great and you basically the last thing you will do is to offer yourself to a competitor. So all the other options were uh, exhausted already. You can probably pick someone like this up for um, one or two times revenue, which basically means um, it's a 24-month CAC payback. That's yeah. basically how you need to think about it. Um, so you, to you should totally consider doing it. Uh, and you can even try and structure those deals where you uh, do one tranche of payment, um, you know, uh, the first year and the other tranche of payment in the next year. Basically kind of financing, you know, at least the second tranche throughout uh, customer payments coming in from that um, from that competitor. Yeah. And I think an interesting part about this entire point is we have been doing a lot of competitor uh, research anyway. Uh, and now I think that's going to be even more important, whether you, you're looking to buy them, whether you're looking to pick up their customers, whether, you know, you want to see what's what's up with uh, what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. But let, let's move on to to the next point, which I think we've had some really interesting conversations about this, even not even about the podcast, but adding AI elements to your business, not not just marketing, but to your business. So I, I got to I got to preface that with. Even only six months ago, I would have resisted to talk about AI, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, in this sense. Um, I think it was all pretty silly. I think the world has changed a little bit. And I don't talk about some of the things that have happened. But um, I, so I think, number one, I believe that while previously AI was a little bit looked upon also in a, in a product world, it's like, ah, okay, sure, there's AI in there, yeah. of course. Yeah. It's really just some smart rules, but cool, let's call it AI. Um, I think I think the market will more and more um, welcome and open up to um, black box AI stuff that sits in your product and can't be fully explained. I think I think there's more of a societal shift now that AI can be well not not the uh, what is it the ethics and morality of that can be trusted, but yeah. the that it's a that it's a smart outcome can be trusted, yeah? and that 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 you know whatever comes out of that AI machine. Uh, is probably correct. That can be trusted. So you will see that probably come up more and more in um, in, in products and so forth. But 
what we wanted to talk about here is how, well, not how, but just the point that you can and you should totally start thinking about augmenting your actual go-to-market machinery and even your product development uh, um, uh, organization with AI elements. Yeah. yeah? And um, super simple uh, example. So we're doing something like that. Um, hey, you know, we, we're figuring out what we want to talk about. We throw some of that into a prompt and we get a nice outline back or structure and we kind of see if it works or not. And then either we keep working on it or we discard it and so forth, right? Yeah. But I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, how, we, how we've been working. Uh, with yeah, it. definitely. I, I think the way we kind of look at AI, especially mostly I think ChatGPT, all those like systems is the ability to do a lot of really basic research and a lot of really basic copy for us that, that would usually just take, you know, hours, if not days, depending on how much we want to get out of it. And I think the way I've been working with a lot of these systems is look at it as if you are a marketing manager and the AI system is an intern that does all right work. Yeah. You need to do a lot of heavy copy editing on it and you need to figure out exactly what you need. But I think a big importance of it, you also need to figure out what its limitations are, what kind of data it's actually drawing from. And the fact that you're not going to get a lot of perfect content and what we really found is whenever we kind of create anything, whether it's a video, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog type format, we always look for what's a non-obvious thing. What's something that no one's really talking about? What's What can we bring new to the table? Mm -hmm. And a lot of these, uh, at least these these natural language processing systems can't do that. Yeah. Because essentially the, all they're doing is they're taking all the information already out there and boiling it down for you. Yes. Which will saves you a, a ton of time. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I, I think we understand the limitations of it. And I think as long as you and once you understand the limitations of it, you can actually start prompting it with specific prompts that you need, and all of a sudden give it almost a roadmap. Yeah. And then then it saves you time by just starting a copy. So you know we will still need um, uh, Bart and Mikkel around, I'm sure. So. Thank God, yeah. <laughs> but that was not the point. I think. Uh, I think this is a very much a hands-on content creation use case where you can use some of the AI stuff. I think that totally makes sense. I think it helps us to cut down cost or time spend rather yeah. a lot. Um, I think you. I think the point is you should start thinking about ways where you can actually use AI to make your current team more efficient. Just think about it like that, right? Both for sales and marketing. Um, CS for sure. I mean, this whole bot reply thing has been a mm -hmm. thing in CS for a long time. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not a developer, but I'm hearing at least fantastic or magical stories from, you know, how some of that AI stuff helps write code, right? Yeah. It's the same relationship, I would say, as with the copy content side. It's not perfect code, but it, it does it really quickly and, it, you know, gives you a structure and you can then kind of keep working with it. I think one more uh, non-obvious approach kind of on the AI side, um, I recently kind of uh, saw a team that basically used... AI uh, to write, I think, 100,000 landing pages. Um, I saw this post on LinkedIn, I believe. Yes. Yeah. You know, if you give away the, the source, it's less, less <laughs> magical. <laughs> it's less sexy. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, but basically, they used AI to write 100,000 uh, landing pages. Mm -hmm. um, basically, with every integration that they have and every metric they then calculate, it was kind of a financial kind of tool. Um, and uh, um, so let's just say they had, I don't know, 100... 50 integrations and then there were I don't know the math right now but like to say 100 or 1000 different metrics and then they kind of combined those two things and then you know had 
uh, AI basically kind of run it through, right? And that worked really well. Um, obviously, there's some. S is, this is an SEO play. Um, they could create those hundred thousand landing pages in like a, a week and a half or something like that. Uh, they got millions of organic visitors, um, but then it kind of it slows down again afterwards, right? But generally speaking, a pretty cool way of applying some of that, uh, some of the content creation side to drive to drive real business. Definitely. Next one. This is something that um, uh, that we totally believe in. So if, if you're thinking about uh, go-to-market will be less efficient because people are not buying as much stuff, um, basically what you could choose to do is instead of deploying short-term resources, which is you know cold calls and, and emails from SDRs or ads on LinkedIn and, and so forth, those are those are you know things that where you spend money and then it evaporates, whatever happens afterwards. Um, you could just make the choice to take some of those short-term investments and you go to market and shift them over to some more long-term stuff. Basically, use the time that you now have to create assets um, that uh, give you some value now, but might also give you some value in 6, 9, 12, 15 months from now. Yeah? Um, basically, and this can, be, this can be evergreen kind of 5,000-word content pieces, um, and it... And it can also be more brand building, demand journey, top of the funnel stuff, right? It could be a podcast. It could be some other things that you're kind of doing um, that previously you were like, ah, oh, we don't have time for that. We need to put all of this money into ads. Um, now could be the time where you actually uh, can maybe take a little bit of a step back from your LinkedIn credit card and, and you know find other ways where you can create content that has a longer life cycle than, than that stuff there, right? I don't know if you want to add something here, but it's, this is a bit more of a tactical, tactical yeah. play, right? And, and, and I think, like, especially on the the idea of this taking time to actually do brand building and whatnot, you're going to have to do that anyway. Uh, it's so right. Why not do it now? I mean, like, for example, the the podcast example that we're doing here. Yes, this is a long term play for brand, and it's not, it's not going to be super successful off the bat. But once you start putting enough effort into it. Once you actually start seeing some of the um, the ROI eventually from this, then then you'll understand kind of how it, it's almost like a boulder going down yeah. down a hill. It's going to get faster and faster and faster. And um, I saw an interesting stat the other day, and I can't piece it together fully anymore. But uh, basically, it said something. Once you're starting to be later stage, so 10, 20, 30 million in ARR, and you have a couple of competitors around you, 70% of the buying decisions will be done by brand alone. Basically, hey, that so basically you're now talking about the you know early majority in the adoption cycle. It's not the innovators. It's not you know the crazy people mm -hmm. uh, that do all the research and sit on five demos and then figure it out. Uh, you're talking about the more lazy ones that are basically saying, "Who smells like the winner in the market here? Those guys. Let's go to them." Right? Um, and uh, and this is where some of this brand building stuff then probably comes home again. Everyone here that is like very much attribution focused would be like, wow, Tony, but you know, show me how this ad yeah. in this book, uh, you know, translated into this guy having a conversation at the coffee table with that person and then they bought. So we won't, right? But um, uh, basically a lot of a lot of people in, in, in the larger market, they are way too lazy to do all of that research that you're faced with, you know, earlier on. Uh, and they will basically say, okay, who's who's the winner? Sometimes they go to Gartner and Forrester, look at who's the which which one is the bubble in the top right, <laughs> <laughs> and and then that's what they're gonna go for, right? Uh, and or the 
I feel this one is the winner in the market. Let's go with them. Let's move on to the next point. And I think this is at one point when you were first pitching me this whole idea, I had to listen to it a couple times to kind of really understand it. But when you first told me, you're like, oh, get a loan. Yeah. But this is an actual potential idea. So I'll let you kind of explain this. And this is that's why we're kind of saying, hey, this we're going a little bit into the cash and financing side here. You can obviously, so there are, there are great businesses out there that basically don't need any any outside financing. They probably have some debt con- uh, component, but not at venture capital, right? Then there's probably many people on this show listening uh, have a venture capital component in it, and everyone is going for this equity piece all the time, mm-hmm. right? And it makes sense because you know many reasons. Don't want to go into this, but there are more and more vendors out there that basically offer you debt. Um, and uh, some of them are more long-term debt. So this is the, the classical venture debt providers. You usually see them in combination with an equity round. So when someone announces 50 million, you can bet that 20 of that is venture debt instead of equity, but it doesn't matter. Um, what we're talking about here, you know, it's, it's almost, um, you know, let's, let's call it the, the payday loans of, of your go-to-market engine or, or running your go-to-market <laughs> engine on on a credit card, if yeah. you will, right? So let's kind of break it down a little bit. So what you and, and for this to make sense for you, what you need to have is you need to have a uh, a cash CAC payback of let's say three months. What does that mean, cash CAC payback? Um, basically, uh, let's just say you have a sales cycle of three months, um, and um, um, and then you have an, a full year upfront payment, you know, coming in directly there, right? So basically you're spending, let's just say 1 million in January in your go-to-market engine. You acquire customers worth maybe 1 million in ARR, whatever. Um, and then in April, you, you know, they pay all their bills and they give you 1 million back. You need to have this dynamic. And, um, you might not have it across your whole revenue engine. You might just have it in parts. If you had it in parts, you need to figure out which parts those are. Maybe Growbox can help you with that. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, you kind of need to figure out where you have a really high cash turnover, if you will, right? And what you then can do is you can approach some of those um, uh, short-term lenders, uh, create a credit line with them, and basically say, hey, listen, uh, you give me a million dollars here. I can prove to you that I've been doing that motion for a year. Uh, you give me a million dollars here and I pay it back in three or four months from now. Yeah, And obviously you do that um, again and again and again, right? You do it for February, you do it for March, you do it, you know, and so forth, right? And basically the, um, the idea then is that uh, over the year you raised in debt $12 million, you paid back $12 million because it's really short term, obviously. Um, You grew your ARR by $12 million and the actual money out of your bank account um, is only the interest, basically, which, you know, will clock in probably at 5 to 10%, like, you know, it will be a million or so. Uh, But still, you grew $12 million in ARR for really only using one million in equity. Um, and obviously once those customers renew next year, you know, all of that growth is there, right? And yes, there are a couple of caveats. Is it actually gonna work like that? You know, is your is your engine as predictable and 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 all of these things? And um uh, it's you know, you should you should talk to your uh, gray-haired adult uh, CFO of choice about this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
but this certainly is something that, um, that you can explore, right? And what that basically means is instead of cutting down your go-to-market engine more and more and more, uh, you can basically uh, use outside debt funding short term in order to uh, finance your go-to-market engine and use the other funds uh, either for just your bank account or to invest in you know building product and so forth. I, I love the idea of the payback loans of CAC. That that's a that's an article I would at least click on. But yeah. l- like you said, I, I think you need to have that that level of granularity to make this make sense at the very start before you even consider this. Yes. Now let's talk about. I guess our final point and the name of the game for this year is going to be keep that account no matter what. Yes, I think this is probably uh, leaning more towards the obvious side of, of a growth play here. Um, I think, you know, winning, winning by design, the churn event of the year and, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, I don't know, history. Yes, uh, I'm not sure of all of time, yes. Of all time, how they kind of phrase it. And I think that's true. Um, and, you know, this, this trick here is not going to save everything kind of on your side on this, but basically have an approach where you um, are extremely lenient with your customers on uh, payment terms, uh, maybe pause their, pause the subscription and let them still use it. Um, basically try and avoid everything you can, try and totally not lose that customer. Yeah. yeah? And um, so we did this actually when when I was working at uh, um, at Plan Day, um, and we uh, so again I started on the first of March 2020. We were selling to small restaurants and hotels. So March 2020, you know, COVID hit. Two weeks later, basically, <laughs> I was like, "What did I do?" Um, but one of the main drivers were um, we basically proactively approached uh, many of those customers, and we're. Um, were offering to pause their subscription because obviously they couldn't open their stores. They, you know, they didn't use our, they didn't need our software and they needed to cut a lot and there was all kinds of subsidies going on. Um, but basically, um, if they would have canceled, yeah, uh, which kind of fast cash wise would have been the same because it's not like they paid us anything. Um, then basically when they then want to start back up eventually, they will go out and, probably not only look at us, but they might look at other companies as well. Um, and then we need to invest sales and marketing resources to win them back, uh, basically incurring then a CAC payback of, again, you know, maybe it was 12, 15, something like that. Yeah. Right? Um, versus if you just keep them and then reactivate the account, you know, when, when the time comes, you basically have a CAC payback of, what is it, zero or 0.5 or something like that. So much, much cheaper way to retain those customers uh, throughout those period. Now, um, COVID for restaurateurs and hoteliers, that was a very different event than what we're seeing right now. So you kind of need to balance it out a little bit. That also really depends on your product. Um, but you know, if you can try and um, try and not lose that customer by way of discounts, pausing things. Um, you know, potentially even, you know, reaching out to some of them proactively where you can see, you know, um, uh, usage drop and so forth um, and basically kind of uh, approach it from a perspective of, well, eventually they will come back. And eventually when they then come back, I don't want them to check the market. I want them to just stay with us. Um, and uh, and I think this is, this is one of those places where sometimes, um, where sometimes folks are a little bit too, 
soft and oh no, and you know what if uh, what if everyone knows and so forth. You obviously need to you know figure this out and, and balance it out. Uh, but that is a potentially a great way to save future CAC, you know, if you will. Uh, CAC that you would need to pay in a year or so from now to acquire that exact same customer back because they're, you know, there's no integration, there's no onboarding anymore, there's no account to delete the data. And then, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to look around and maybe go with someone else. Definitely. So maybe this advice is a little bit on the more obvious side compared to everything else, but at the end of the day, our CS departments are going to be really busy this year. And then I think we're going to we're gonna have to keep customers happy no matter what. Totally. And by the way, a quick, quick side note to this. You will need to enable your CS team to ditch out all of those discounts. Uh, usually this would go through the AM and then they need to sit down and then they negotiate. That's just not going to work in this environment. Uh, you basically need to set up um, discount schemes that the CSMs can you know ditch out themselves when they feel like it. Um, and you will run into situations where you're really unhappy with it. <laughs> we had the same thing, uh, but uh, but that's just the that's just the game you're playing there. And you know, in as a whole, you will need to trust your CS team to uh, to figure that one out. Well, thanks again, Tony. I think I, we have some five really good points to to walk away with there. So again, if you are kind of looking into this market and thinking, oh no, what are we going to do? There are some actual actionable strategies you can take in. One thousand percent, absolutely. Thank you, Bart. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. See you guys.